round, <laughs> Reverend yeah. Bob Cardin. <laughs> oh, please be seated. Two weeks ago was Pentecost Sunday, and I did a teaching, What Changed at Pentecost? And this morning I'm going to do What Changed at Pentecost Part 2, and I figured that I could do What Changed at Pentecost up to like part 387, because an awful lot changed. And, you know, I approached Pentecost on three different categories of things that might have changed at Pentecost. First, we have things that ended at Pentecost. Among those things that ended at Pentecost was the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. You'll notice, no matter how long you've been coming to fellowship here, we have never once sacrificed a goat at fellowship or a bullock or anything else. That ended. It ended because the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ was made. And those animal sacrifices were just a foreshadowing, an example of what would ultimately be the greatest sacrifice. Now, some things at Pentecost were improved. In the Old Testament, the Jews had a relationship to God. That was good. The rest of the world did not have a relationship with God. The Jews did. But their relationship was based on law and their relationship was that of a servant. After Pentecost, that relationship got upgraded to son or daughter. So that's something that improved. Now, there's also something new. And what I looked at new on Pentecost was the gift of Holy Spirit born within a man or a woman. Never before had happened. That was just not available. The only people who had spirit in the Old Testament were the occasional prophet. You know, when you think that the Old Testament covers a few thousand years and you see that there's only like 50 or 60 prophets, that doesn't leave a whole lot. Now, everyone has that spirit of God. Now, there are many other things that were new at Pentecost, and I'm going to look at one now. See, these three things that I looked at, what ended, improved, and new, those three things you could have sorted out if you had read the Old Testament. You could have figured out things like this were coming. What I want to talk about that was new today is something that nobody had a clue was coming. It was completely unexpected. Now, I want to ask a question. How, anybody in here raised Jewish? Okay, one person, this teaching isn't for you. Your people already were in. The rest of you Jamokes who were not Jewish, this teaching is about when your ancestors were first able to have a relationship with God. And this was great. Why don't we show that next slide, Carolyn? Yay, welcome Gentiles. Okay, that's us. However, This was not the response of everybody. A large portion of Jews were not saying, yay, welcome Gentiles. And Paul was arrested, and in Acts 22, he gives his defense. And it's very interesting because the crowds listened to him as he told them the history of Israel, as he told them about Jesus of Nazareth. But when he got to the Gentiles... The crowd went Meshuggah. Now, do you all know what Meshuggah is? Okay, Meshuggah is a Yiddish word. If you grow up in New York City like I did, a lot of places in America, Spanish is the second language. In New York City, it's Yiddish. Okay? Meshuggah means they went crazy when they heard this. And look what happens in Acts twenty-two twenty-one. 21. 
And he, he's talking about how Jesus had said things to him. And they're still listening. Okay, this Jesus of Nazareth, is crucified. Now he's talking to you. Okay. They're still listening. Still, in, you know, listening to what Paul was saying. And then he said, he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. That was it. That was it. Next verse. Up until this word. What word was that? Gentile. Up until that word, they listened to him. They considered what he was saying. Then they raised their voices at that one word, Gentile, and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. From this one word, Gentile. Welcome Gentiles? No way. But fortunately, God did not need their approval to implement his plan of redemption. God could go ahead and implement it anyway. But what God did need to do and what God wanted to do was to work with these early Christians, all of whom were Jewish in background, to get them to accept that Jesus was the Messiah, not just to the Jews, which everybody anticipated, but that he was the Messiah to the world. And God had to go through some uh, many... Well, God didn't have to jump through the hoops, but the people had to jump through several hoops before they got to the place where they were willing to say, welcome Gentiles. And it's interesting because God was introducing this even from the day of Pentecost. Actually, he even introduced the idea in the Old Testament when he said all the nations will be blessed in Abraham. But nobody quite understood what that meant. Okay, blessed in Abraham, that doesn't mean they're like us. It just means that they're blessed. Look what it says in Acts 2.39. This is the day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching, and this is pure prophecy, what he's saying here. He says, for the promise, he's speaking, of course, to all Jews at the temple, for the promise is for you and for your children. Okay, good. My children are also Jewish. And for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Nobody that day imagined that those who were afar off would include Gentiles, would include non-Jews. But God had that in mind all along. Now we're going to fast forward to Acts chapter 10, which is about 10 years after the day of Pentecost. And in those 10 years, the church began to grow and spread, just like Jesus had announced in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and it began getting to the uttermost part of the earth. Hadn't gotten very far yet, but the church had been growing and expanding. However, every man, woman, and child who became a Christian during those first 10 years was first a Jew. He was either a Jew by birth or he was a Jew by conversion. The early Christians would no more have thought about witnessing to a Gentile about Jesus Christ than they would have thought about witnessing to a goat. It was that far off their radar screen. And, you know, when we think about this, this is hard for us to wrap our heads around, you know, that someone would actually view that God would exclude a people. That's hard for us to really wrap our minds around. And that's good. That means the church has progressed so far that it is absolutely fundamental to all Christians that anybody can be a Christian. 
I would say God was fairly successful in moving people away from Jews only to anybody for Christ. But it took time. So we're going to look in Acts chapter 10. We're going to read Acts chapter 10. But I want to point out to you that the Bible as it was originally written did not have chapters or verses. Chapters were added, I think, in the 13th century and verses in the 15th century. Now, I'm happy that we have chapters and verses because that means we can find things. But what you have to remember, the chapter divisions in your Bible are not divinely inspired. They were humanly imposed. And sometimes they break up a record right in the middle. And this happens in this case. The record of God bringing in the Gentiles and what God wanted to share with us about that takes all of chapter 10 and the first half of chapter 11. But if you view chapter 10 as in and of itself and now we're on to something different, you'll miss the continuity that God wanted us to see. So, What we have here is the Apostle Peter, 10 years after Pentecost, churches all throughout Judea at least, and Peter is traveling around Judea strengthening the disciples, teaching them more about Jesus Christ and about his word. And he gets to the city of Joppa, and he raises a woman, Dorcas, from the dead. Great rejoicing there, a tremendous outreach of God's word. And this is what happened up to and through chapter 9. Chapter 10 starts with switching to the city of Caesarea. Now, Joppa is a coastal city in Israel on the Mediterranean Sea. Caesarea is also a coastal city about 30 miles north of there. Caesarea was the Roman capital of Judea. Now, what was the capital as far as the Jews were concerned? Jerusalem, of course. But the Romans didn't want that as their capital. They had Caesarea. Guess who Caesarea was named for? Caesar, right. Actually, Augustus Caesar is who it was named for because that's what these client kings would do. They'd name cities after the emperor to show that I'm in your corner, Augie. Look, I just named my capital city after you. But here we go. Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, what this, t- this tells us a couple of things. A centurion, you would think that a centurion would be in charge of 100 soldiers, right? He wasn't. He was in charge of about 80. But I want to tell you something about centurions. A centurion was paid 15 times what a soldier would be paid. Now, you think about this. In the United States Army, a sergeant is paid about twice as much as an enlisted man. And even a five-star general is only paid about ten times as much as an enlisted man. But a centurion was paid 15 times as much as the enlisted men. And enlisted men in the Roman army made enough money to afford their own slaves. They often would have one or two slaves that traveled with them. So this centurion, within the, the framework of their culture, was quite affluent. Okay? And verse 2. He was a devout man. This is interesting. He was part of the occupation army. Okay, but he was a devout man who feared God and not just the pagan gods of the Roman Empire. He feared the true God of Israel. 
with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. But he wasn't a Jew. He was not a Jew. There were a number of people, actually they called them God-fearers in the New Testament. They were Gentiles who admired usually Jewish ethics and morality, but they would not become circumcised. They would not become Jews. But they did admire and they liked the concept of one God. Cornelius was one of these. Whether this happened when he came to Israel or whether it happened earlier, I don't know, because it was, it was uh, fairly... Well, I don't want to say it was common, but it was not unique that Roman soldiers would be like this. Look what happens to this man in verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius saw clearly a vision of an angel. How did he see the vision? Clearly. Does God work in mysterious ways? No. Is it vague, like, oh, I wonder what that means? No. He saw clearly an angel of God come unto him and say to him, Cornelius? And he stared at him in terror. This was an unusual circumstance. And he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now that is an address in the first century. That is because tanners would have all been in one section of town, and he is with Simon the tanner by the sea. That is all that they're going to need to find Peter. That's all the information they're going to need. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. So he had a lot of servants He gave much alms, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. He sent them to Joppa, which is about a 30-mile walk. They were probably going on foot. The average person could walk 20 to 30 miles a day on foot. 20 miles was considered average, 30 miles if the army was in quick time. Well, they probably started at around 4 p.m., because the ninth hour of the day is 3 p.m., they probably started walking around 4 p.m., and they were going to get there shortly after lunch the next day. But now let's switch the scene from Caesarea back to Joppa, where Peter is. And we're going to see how God is able to work timing. I have, I'm sure you've noticed that yourself in life, how God is able to work a timing that you could never arrange on your own. You might run across someone who you would have, if you had been, if you had hit one more red light, you would have missed them. But instead, you make it, you meet them, you introduce yourself, you get to witness, you get to pray for them. God does this all the time. It's amazing. Verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That would be around noontime. And he became hungry. How many people here get hungry around noontime? Okay, things haven't changed much. (laughs) And he wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Now, the word trance, that has a different meaning in modern English than it does in the Bible. The word trance here, uh, the Greek word is ecstasis. We get the word ecstasy from it. 
what it really means here is an amazing vision. Now, you and I might say, hey, any vision from God is, by definition, amazing. But sometimes God gives such a dramatic vision that he calls it amazing. So if God calls it amazing, you know it's going to be amazing. And here's what Peter saw. And he saw the heavens opened. He's sitting there. Now, were the heavens opened? No, that's the vision that he saw. It's not what happened out in the sky. It is the vision God showed him. The heavens opened and something like a great sheet descended, let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. So Peter, he's just looking at this vision. He sees a sheet and on that sheet are all little animals. And okay, what next? And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So Peter thought it was a test. No, 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 I'm not going to be tricked into eating these things. No, Lord, I'm a good Jew. He would not have considered himself a Christian at this point. He would have considered himself a Jew, a Jew who recognized Jesus was the promised Messiah. So he is still adhering to Jewish law. Because they understand some of what happened because of Christ's sacrifice, but not all of what happened because of Christ's sacrifice. That is being revealed over time, and that's much of that is revealed in the New Testament epistles. To this day, even though it's all written and recorded, God is still unfolding to our understanding some of the great things that we have in Christ. One of the greatest truths of the 21st century that has really been exploding throughout the Christian church worldwide is our identification with Christ. That we actually represent Christ as Christ, which is different. You can always be commissioned to represent somebody, right? But we have Christ in us. We are Christ to the world as his representatives. And that is something that the church has not recognized and understood and lived very well for the last couple of thousand years. Isn't that great that we're understanding that? About a hundred years ago, most Christians did not understand that the power of the Holy Spirit was still available. It was. It's written in the Word. But people didn't recognize it or understand it. So you see, it's not so unusual that it takes us humans a while to really comprehend what God is doing. So let's not, point, let's not wag our fingers at these early Christians here. But anyway, so Peter makes his statement, I don't eat that stuff, Lord. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, this is interesting. What is God? God knows what he wants to do. He wants his people to witness to Gentiles. But they're not going to. They're not going to talk to them. In fact, they go to the other side of the street. They won't eat with them. They won't go into their homes. They won't invite them into their homes. He wants to get, what's his goal? Get the Christians to witness to Gentiles. How is he going to do this? He didn't just say, go witness to Gentiles in a booming voice. What he does is he's building a case because in the Old Testament, there were clean animals and unclean animals. You could eat the clean ones. You couldn't eat the unclean ones. And again, God does everything with a purpose. Why? God had this distinction 
so that he could show at that time the difference between the Jews and the Gentiles. And now what he's telling them is, he said, look, Peter, what I have made clean, don't you dare call unclean. But wait a second, God, it was unclean just, you know, 10 years ago. But God can clean anything he wants, can't he? And at this point, because of Christ, because of Pentecost, he has now cleaned the Gentiles to be a people for him. But nobody knows it yet. So he's instructing him. He's bringing them along. And he's bringing Peter along in a way that he can understand and comprehend. He's using examples that Peter will get. And he's building a case for Peter. In verse 17, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, why was he? God didn't say what it meant, did he? God didn't say, therefore, witness to Gentiles. He just said, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. So Peter's like, okay, what exactly does that mean? And while he, this is just God, while he is contemplating this, trying to sort out what does this vision mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. This is interesting because as representatives of the Roman army, they didn't actually have to knock, okay? They didn't have to stand at the gate and call politely about somebody if they lived there. They could walk right in if that's what they wanted to do. Obviously, Cornelius explained to them what this mission was about. This this isn't a raid, okay? This is something different. And this is just amazing. Verse 19, and while Peter was pondering the vision, he's thinking about it. These people start calling at the gate. The Spirit said to him, okay, here's revelation again. First revelation was what? A vision, something he saw and also something he heard. This is something that he is just hearing. Because as I we went over a few weeks ago, when you receive revelation from God, he symbolizes it to you generally speaking, by one of your five senses, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, or touching. Why does God do that? Because he designed the human brain to access information by the five senses. So when God is going to communicate with you, he communicates to you by symbolizing it in one or more of those five senses. Here, the Spirit said to him, so he heard it. Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Now, these men, what would they have said? They would have said, Cornelius has sent us. What would Cornelius have said? An angel told me to send them. But what's the ultimate truth? God sent them. It all, it all originates with God. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for, What is the reason for your coming? God is pulling him along here. He doesn't know he's supposed to witness to him. Every time you put a Jew in front of Peter, he talks about Jesus. You put these people, uh, okay, why are you here? What, What can I do for you? I mean, Peter always knows what to do for Jews. Tell them about Christ. 
And they said, Cornelius a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well-spoken by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he, Peter, invited them in as his guests. That, although it doesn't literally break a law of the Old Testament, it does break all of their taboos about associating with Gentiles. But Peter knows something strange is going on here, so he invites him in to be his guests. Big no-no, but with God, big yes-yes. Okay, the next day, Peter rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. He brought some witnesses. If I'm going to go with some Gentiles up to see a Gentile army officer, I'm going to bring some witnesses with me. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. So they took them two days or one and a half days to get there with Peter. Apparently, the soldiers didn't walk as fast with Peter as they walked when Cornelius had sent them on their way. And where am I here? Uh, And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. The fact that he had, he had enough money to bring his family with him to a posting. Families don't always, even in our military, don't always go to every posting. But he had enough to bring them along. And he had a big enough house to get them all in there. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. He didn't worship him as God. He respected him. That, this was common in their society that you would fall down. In fact, the word for worship comes from uh, to go down like a dog is what that word means. He recognized that if God sent Peter to him, Peter was special. And Peter demanded respect for that. And he said, no, 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 stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. So you can imagine a conversation. Hello, yes, I'm Peter, yeah. And, oh, I came from Joppa. Yeah, we had a nice trip. And you are? Yeah, okay, Cornelius. Yeah, you're the guy that these... You know, so they're having a little chit-chat, okay? And he said to them, "You, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Peter is now getting the purpose of his original revelation. Oh, it's not about what I eat. It's about the people I meet, right, Bart? It's about people. But is he witnessing to them yet? No. That's another step. Because again, in the Old Testament, you knew that the Gentiles could be blessed in Abraham. That didn't mean they were being made equal to the Jew, but they were going to be blessed. Peter still doesn't know. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? He still doesn't know. He still doesn't understand why he is there and what he's supposed to do. He's willing to be there, but he doesn't know why. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood by me in bright clothing. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. 
He is lodging in the house of Simon a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. What a humble man Cornelius was. He's a Roman centurion. He could have ordered any Jewish citizen he wanted to show up at his house. It's not kindness that they came. They were under orders to come. But look at how he talks here. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. He knows that this man is going to bring him a message from God. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Finally, Peter understands that he can tell these Gentiles about Jesus Christ. All this just to get him to that point. And he launches right into it. Now he does what he would have done to any Jew who was in front of him. As for the word that was sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. We sang about that this morning. In order to become a Christian, two things you need to do. One is to accept and declare Jesus to be your Lord. The second is to believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's all you have to do to become a Christian. Religion, I know, puts up a lot more hoops than that. This is all God asks. You know what God is asking you to do? He's not asking you to do anything. He's asking you to agree with him. You know, look, I made Jesus Lord. How about you recognize that? Okay, I raised him from the dead. Do you care to believe that? So you're not doing anything to become a Christian. You're simply acknowledging and believing what God has done. And the reason I point this out is these people, these Gentiles, and I'm not, I don't imagine all of them were God-fearing men like Cornelius, but they were all gathered there. These Gentiles have now heard 50% of what they need to become Christians if they choose to believe it. Verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Verse 39, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. So now they have heard 100% of what you need to become a Christian. The question that remains is, will they believe it? See, the people, when we read that verse from Acts 21, those Jews in the temple courts there, they heard Paul talk about Jesus. Did they believe him? No. What's going to happen if these people believe what Peter is preaching? They're going to become Christians. Verse 41, not that he made Christ to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And I pointed out on Resurrection Sunday, the first person that God chose to see the risen Christ was Mary Magdalene. God, that wasn't just a lucky break for Mary, you know, that, oh, wow, you got lucky. No, 
God chose Mary to see Jesus before even any of his apostles. And when you see what Mary did at the cross and what she was willing to do after he was buried, it's not much of a stretch to understand why God might have Christ appear to her first. Okay, verse 42. And he commanded, God commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Look at all that these people have heard. Now, because Cornelius invited them, let's go. Will Peter have credibility with Cornelius? Yes, because he had an angel say, go get Peter. So Peter has credibility with Cornelius. And Cornelius invited these people. I imagine he told them what he was inviting them to. So these people have a reason to consider what this Jewish man is saying. Ordinarily, these Gentiles wouldn't have a reason to consider what the Jewish person was believing or saying because he was just part of a subjugated race like most of the people in the Roman Empire. And this is what I think is interesting. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. Now, in the Greek language, as opposed to English, there is a way that you can tell grammatically when somebody hears, understands, and believes, or just listens. And in this case the word is used to understand that they heard what Peter said, they understood it, and they believed it. So when they heard and believed it, what happened? The Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. This is, they, they, they now, listen, look how far they've come from not talking to a Gentile to saying, okay, they're not really just garbage, to, okay, we can witness to them. But they obviously still didn't understand that a Gentile could be born again with the power of the Holy Spirit, just like the Jews, because they're amazed that this happens. They're amazed. And you see, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that proved to Peter that these people had gotten born again. I mean, just because they looked interested wouldn't have proven that they were born again. Even if they said, yay, Peter, yay, Jesus, still wouldn't have proven they got born again. When they spoke in tongues and manifested the Holy Spirit, okay, these guys are Christians now. Now we've got a problem with our theology. God has just given me a problem with my theology. You know, God will never contradict himself. Did you know that? God will never contradict himself. He, however, is free to contradict what you believe. And this is what he's just doing. They're just amazed. They're, you know, they're really amazed. For they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, a little after the fact, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Why baptize them with water when clearly they had already been baptized with Holy Spirit? Well, there's a couple of things working here. In order, because Gentiles could always become Jews. That wasn't a problem. 
You could, if, you could become a Jew and then become a Christian. That, that was okay with Peter. That was okay with the apostles. To become a Jew, you had to be circumcised, and they also baptized people, Gentiles, who wanted to enter into Judaism. What Peter still isn't getting, what he still isn't getting, but he will, he is still not getting that people can go directly from Gentile to Christ. That's what he hasn't gotten yet. So he is ordering up the customs of their time to bring someone from Gentile to Jew. And we're going to see in chapter 11 that Peter finally does sort it out. Let's keep reading here. Verse 1 of chapter 11. Peter stayed there for several days. Then he went back to Jerusalem. And many people in Jerusalem were not at all happy that Peter went and talked to Gentiles. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Can you imagine? God does this wonderful miracle, and they criticize Peter for it. You don't think that still doesn't happen today? When I first got serious about Christianity, this is in 1972, I learned about speaking in tongues, and I spoke in tongues. I had fellow Christians tell me that I was going to hell because I spoke in tongues. So here God did something in my life. I had his spirit. I spoke in tongues. Their response, well, you're going to hell for that. Their response to Peter getting Gentiles born again, they criticized him. And they said, you went into uncircumcised men, and you ate with them. And you know what that would mean? It wasn't kosher. That's what that would mean. That, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. I think it's interesting that twice we are given the full account of the vision that Peter had, and twice we are given the full account of the vision that God gave to Cornelius. When God reveals something twice, that establishes it and it doesn't get changed. Do you know that? That God can tell you something and he can change what he tells you if circumstances change? This happened with the prophet Isaiah and King Hezekiah. God sent Isaiah to Hezekiah and said, tell him to put your house in order because you are dying. And Isaiah delivers the message and leaves. Right after he delivers the message, Hezekiah turns to God in prayer and repents, and God tells Isaiah, tap, 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 okay, go back and tell him he's going to live. But where God gives a revelation twice, it is established. The bringing in of the Gentiles was not a one-off. The bringing in of the Gentiles was now established for all time. That's why these revelations are repeated for us. And he goes, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, like it it just plopped right in front of him. Now we get a little more information. It came down, it wasn't still up in the sky, it was boom, right there. It's like I'm looking at the front row, and here it is with the sheet down and all the animals running around on it. God can give, this is why God calls it an amazing vision. And looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey. All beasts of prey were unclean to the Jews. And reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, 
by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. So remember I just told you, do it twice and it's established? God gave it three times so that Peter just couldn't miss it. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house which, in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit, God himself, told me to go with them, making no distinction. Peter had been raised his entire life making a distinction. These people have no covenant relationship. They have no place in God's kingdom. These people, we don't even talk to them. Peter grew up making a very strong distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the house. So it's not just Peter. It's like, look, these six good Jewish Christians, they came with. They're going to testify. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved in all your households. He will declare a message. And I be- as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. This is what was amazing to them, just as on us. And then, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Peter eventually figured out, okay, wait a second. Okay, hold the water. These guys have been baptized with Holy Spirit, just like Jesus told us. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And then their response in verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. They couldn't argue against it, but they weren't exactly going, yay God, welcome Gentiles. But they couldn't speak against it. They at least had that. Okay, all right, Peter. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. They're still befuddled by this. Remember, they're being, Peter got brought along over several days. These people are getting brought along over several minutes. Okay? This is a short amount of time to change a lifetime of teaching. So let's not be too critical. This now opened the floodgates to reach the world for Christ. This section concludes with the following footnote. This is off, this is not continuous with the record. It's a footnote that concludes what God wanted to do with the Gentiles. In verse 19 it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen... That was in Acts chapter 7. Traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to who? No one except Jews. Because that's who all they believed you could witness to. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. They spoke to Greeks. That's what Hellenists means. Preaching the Lord Jesus. The name of Jesus Christ was now being named to Gentiles. 
And the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. When it says in the Bible, the hand of the Lord is with you, that means God is there helping you along, strengthening you along. He was helping them proclaim the name of Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This is one of what we call the summary statements in the book of Acts. It represents a tremendous move of God. And this one in particular was earth-changing because now it is the whole earth that can receive Jesus Christ as their Lord. The name of Jesus is now spoken to the world. Why don't you stand and we'll close in prayer, okay? There's a happy escapee. He must like praying. <laughs> okay, that's why we have grandmothers. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give our hearts to you today. We thank you that you have made such a great salvation available to us, those of us here in this room, most of whom had no place in your kingdom, much less your family. And you have brought us near. You have brought us into the household. You have made us your sons and your daughters. And because of what you have done, God, the name of Jesus Christ is named, not just in Jerusalem and Judea, but to the uttermost part of the earth, to men and women of all groups, of all languages, of all ethnicities, of all races. The name of Jesus Christ can change their life. And we thank you for that, God. And I pray that you would give us opportunities to speak the name of Jesus Christ to people this week, to bring them into our family, a family that you have room for more in, God. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.